Social justice means applying the law equally to all people. But in practice, that doesn't always happen. I'm John Gonzalez. I'm here at my law partner, Jack Derora. We practice law. We seek social justice. On this show, we reveal the conflict between the two. You know, for a while, it was just us in the office over a cup of coffee talking about the news of the day with social justice issues dominating our culture. Our focus became how do we as lawyers make a difference? And now it's not just us. Today, we have Paul Sparks with us to discuss transitioning men from prison to the community. Paul is back from last week. Welcome back, Paul. Thank you. Um, Paul, we were talking last time about uh, the Embark program, and you were telling us that it starts in prison as much as 10 months to two years before uh, these men get out. And then, um, then there's the program that you said you walk with them for about a year. Um, tell us uh, a little bit more about the program when they get out. So when men come home, uh, part of our programming inside, which I failed to mention last week, is we have a monthly navigator gathering where we bring a bank of our volunteers into the institution once a month. And we do team building exercises, uh, communication skills, introduce topics of discussion. And um, what we do is try to foster building friendships and relationships between the volunteers and our participants. So when a man's about ready to come home, I'll, I will uh, meet with him and say, hey, who are some of our volunteers that you're developing a good relationship with? And, and they might say, oh, well, I really like that Jack DeRora guy. He's, he's fun to talk with, so forth and so on. So I'll say, great, let me see if he's available. And I'll ask him for a list of about five men. Um, and then I'll start running through those five men. Hey, are you available? Would you be interested in help navigate this man in the community? And we call these volunteers, obviously, we call them navigators. Um, so when a man gets released, we invite those volunteers to come alongside those men and be a, just a, a, a good pro-social source of friendship in the community. So they're not out there just blowing in the wind. It's not just me dropping a hammer on them, so to speak, you know, being the police. Um, and, uh, they have a, a, a friend that's not going to take them to the dope spot or to the, uh, you know, where the girls are hanging out at the club or, or whatever, and, and help them step back into the community in a, in a more pro-social way. Plus, it's good because they're able to show them around the community. Your volunteers, then, I take it that these are people uh, that are not uh, former inmates. For the most part, no. Most part, they're uh, retired men. Some still are working in the, in the community. Um, but we encourage uh our alumni to uh, to come back and pour in. And there are a few that um, in limited capacities um, pour back into these men as well. And that's starting to grow. I think that's really going to be an indicator of our future as an organization. The um, employees of Embark, Kindway, uh, do a lot of them have uh, records you know, like or similar to yours, which gives you some, I assume, some credibility with the with these men. We have a diverse uh, staff. Um, our, our executive director is a former prison warden. Uh, I've done 13 years. Uh, our director of development, I mentioned, he did 15. Um, we have another guy that did 30 plus, 
And then we have a retired police detective. Um, we have a uh, Methodist minister. Um, and we have some, you know, some various other backgrounds. Uh, a woman who still is doing, uh, you know, team building and HR work around the world still comes and volunteers with us on a regular basis. Um, so it's very diverse. We actually have a return citizen now that actually sits on our board. And uh, we just recently put her on our board, and that's, to me, very exciting to see. I think it was a necessary step for the organization. Well, that's an important point, I think, that um, I didn't want to lose, is that Embark is for men and women, correct? Yes. Um, And so when you look at the success rate, I read something, I think I might have pulled it off um, the website, of the 140 men and women who completed Embark, this program, only 5.7% have re-entered the correctional system. And you got to compare that to the general right uh, population um, is 31%. Yes. So that's in Ohio. So that's pretty darn good, isn't it? Yeah, it's excellent. Yeah. And so when we think about the 5.7% that re-entered the system, about how long after they're out, does that happen? Is it something that's 10, 15 years later or two or three months later, if you can say? It, it varies. Um, we had a man recently who uh, was just about to get off of five-year parole and, and got arrested for theft. Um, and his parole was extended. Luckily, he didn't go straight back to prison. Um, so it varies. What I can say, though, is of that five point or four point whatever percent you mentioned, um, several of them are back out in the community already and living successfully. Um, and I say several, but I mean, I think the actual total number is like six or seven men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say about half of them are back in the community. Um, it's not a, a huge sample size of, of the number that do go back, but is there anything that you see as far as a trend that the the reason they – don't make it is is it back into drugs is it uh, is there something specific that you can say hey we really need to focus on this i would say uh there's three major offenders to send a man or a woman back into incarceration uh, relationships drugs and alcohol and uh, financial issues hmm. um, and relationships would probably be at the top of that um, our men and women need to learn how to um, operate independently before they go wrapping up into a uh, uh, an intertwined relationship of you know shared um, bill paying uh, living arrangements and so forth. How hard is it to uh, find that the inmate a job and for them to uh, keep a job? Oh wow! When we first started, it was challenging. Um, but fortunately, uh, we are sought after as a uh, 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 for employees today. And uh, for instance, the company I worked for, they they became offender friendly. And the last time I spoke, he's now retired. Their HR president, um, he told me that their retention of returned citizens versus normal citizens. Uh, was about 30% better. So about 80% of the men and women that they hired that had formerly incarcerated uh, stayed 
and it was about 55% or 50% for normal population. So we're a sought-after market now. I imagine, though, with um, almost anybody who's looking for a job, it's not just a job. It's a livable wage. Yeah. What type of jobs uh, are these um, men looking at when they come out? Is it basically entry-level a lot of our men and women go into manufacturing or warehousing work. Um, and uh, we are fortunate now that our, our major partners all pay the 18 to $25 an hour range. I mean, we're giving them a good living wage with benefits and retirement plans. Um, we generally, the, the hiring process may take a little bit longer, so we'll try to throw them into a staffing place somewhere that, that will give them some temp work just so they get used to the 40-hour work week prior to going in. Have you been in a position where you've had to sell an inmate to an employer to alleviate their fears or their concerns? Early on, yes. Um, I remember taking a man to, uh, uh, and I, I hate to say it, we're, we don't really use them too much anymore, but they're a small organization. And this man was totally qualified for the job, but wasn't ready. And he just froze up when it came time for the interview. He was a, a, a juvenile when he went incarcerated, did 27 years. And it ended up me being the, doing the interview for him while he sat there. <laughs> um, he got the job and they loved him, but he ended up even getting moving into some leadership roles. But uh, sometimes, but usually since I've been in this role, we, we take the time to develop a man, um, to, to be ready to interview. And, uh, we have a former HR president from one of our, our employment partners comes in, does an employment preparation class. And we generally usher for sure any of our embark participants mm -hmm. through that, but we also offer it to general population. I would guess, Jack, just thinking from an employer standpoint, you know, what would you be concerned with? You take the uh, gentleman we talked about last time, um, that I'll be handling his parole hearing, and he killed somebody. And the employer that is offering him a job is was very concerned with that fact, Was as I think that's probably reasonable, right? You know, I don't know if it's reasonable in the sense that we use reasonable as lawyers, but it's very part of how the brain, of how humans react, right? I say it's maybe not reasonable because if you've been in jail for 30 years, you're probably about 50 and just the course of life has slowed you down. And as I see with our men in Embark, it's a lot of times the only difference between them and us, and I mean you and me, Gonzo, is 10 to 15 minutes of really bad thinking. Mm -hmm. If you walked into that place where Paul and I were last evening, if these men didn't have prison garb on, you'd think, what a nice bunch of guys. And, you know, uh, talking to the employer in, in my uh, client situation, uh, what he was sold on was the victim's daughter's statement mm -hmm. that she was able to forgive that a big part of that was because he was young at the time and she really has a good, you know, um, uh, understanding and acceptance that people at that age make mistakes. Absent that, I don't think he would have felt comfortable presenting this gentleman to his clients and customers. Um, he's in a service industry, so uh, this this gentleman's going to be going into houses and meeting people. And um, 
But that's a circumstance that's very, I don't want to say unique in, in that way, but he was a juvenile when he committed this egregious, horrible crime. Well, what, but what I, about somebody that's just in for drugs? You know, uh, to me as an employer, you would be thinking twice about whether that's, that's such a powerful, you know, uh, problem to beat. Unfortunately, employers are already dealing with that in the community. Uh, so it's, it's not a, um, the, st the stigma is not so rough anymore. A lot of ours, uh, may just be a drug dealer, not a drug addict, um, but if, frankly speaking, most of them fooled around with something. Um, the, 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 the good part of that is that um, they've had time away from that drug um, and they've had time to stay clean and sober and learn about the effects of what that causes that many people in the community haven't gone through that yet. So I think it's, you know, it's still a a. a better opportunity to deal with a man that's got a significant amount of time under his belt where he's been shielded from those dangers. We uh, touched on relationships. How many of these men and women uh, form a relationship after they get out? And, uh, and at least from what you've seen, it's, it's a strong and meaningful relationship. Or do they have a difficult time with, with that part of our um, you know, our, our human life, our relationships. What I'm seeing more and more lately, the trend to be is they're getting on social media and they're getting catfished. Um, and I keep warning them, that girl in that picture is not who's sending you those messages. It's probably some big fat dude sitting behind a computer in his boxers eating potato chips. And um, these guys start to believe that they're talking with these beautiful models and and i'm like you're wrong you know go out and and get in the community and meet real people mm -hmm. so but these guys are chomping at the bit like stud horses wanting to run out and find the first mayor that is ready and um and and i i, I try to say that as tastefully as possible <laughs> uh, uh, so and that's the big question on her mind when can i be with a woman again and and women are the same way um and i just i ask them you know that's one thing about the 12-step program is we talk about that we talk about examining your motives and what's behind that and being a christian program we encourage christian morals uh, to be practiced in that um, endeavor in their life. Um, unfortunately, I usually tell them when it happens, because it probably will, tell her to slap you so you don't fall in love. Because nine times out of ten, they're like, oh, she's the greatest. I love her. And right. And then it's dangerous. Paul, I appreciate you coming in and, uh, and talking to us and certainly educating me. I've got some thoughts that um, I hope will help my client in his parole uh, board hearing. And um, for that, that's just valuable insight for me. So thank you very much. Thank you. Feel free to reach out. Our thanks also to WOSU and our sound engineer, Dalton Jones. If you like what you've heard today, please tell a friend. We want this show to be more than just us. We'd like it to be all of us. We'll be back in another week or so with another important social justice issue. Until then, so long.